2: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element. Well, studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. Well, we got the rain out of here, still a little cloudy, but it's been kind of a dreary, wet week here in the Magnolia State, but we survived it. I'm. Uh, Taken aback at how much warmer is the temperature today than it was uh, just a short week ago. Rather frigid, and now and you don't have your shorts on today. It's warmer today than it was yesterday, and you wore shorts yesterday.
3: Had <laughs> to do laundry.
2: I get it. All right, so we are here, ready to get going. Eleven twenty today. We've got Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, super top Mississippi news. We'll get a recap from Alyssa on all the news. The fantastic news department here at Talk has been covering, and there's a lot of it, by the way, over the last week, and get a little bit of a glimpse into what's on tap for next week. And then, privileged to have Speaker of the House, Jason White, in the House at 12.05 today. And, of course, we got a little to talk to the Speaker about. A lot of good news, because yesterday... In a special session called by by Governor Tate Reeves, the legislature approved a package that uh, will result in a $10 $10 billion investment in Madison County by Amazon Web Services. So now, finally, after holding this in for so long, I can actually say the name of the company, known as Project Atlas, by the way. It was the code word typically on these big economic development projects. That's how they are discussed um, and referenced by their code names. So here we go. Amazon Web Services coming to town. Enjoyed a uh, little get-together last night, which included Amazon executives. They're absolutely ecstatic about investing in and building out and establishing a presence for Amazon web services in the great state of Mississippi. Now, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and it's I have no information to support what I'm about to tell you, but it's total speculation that we're already getting calls from. Others who were in that industry, that would be Meta, Google, Microsoft, big players, Oracle, IBM, just a, just a hunch. That's all it is. I think I shared the other day the old McDonald's model. <laughs> um, you know what that is. McDonald's would do all this research and investigation about the... A site on which to build a restaurant this was something that was uh, really kind of at full speed back when they were building out their footprint their restaurant footprint not that they're not st- still doing that but in the in the 70s and 80s in particular they had a team they were specialists in site selection and as you can imagine a lot of information would have to be gathered just to determine the viability of a site for a McDonald's restaurant. And so, inevitably, what would happen right after they'd say, okay, here, and they'd start building a restaurant, guess who would go across the street? Wendy's. Or the king. The king, right. Right. Thank you, McDonald's, for doing all the heavy lifting here. The same thing
3: happened when you had the big boom of pharmacies expanding across, when you had the battle between Walgreens and CVS to see who could have the most stores. And they started buying up local pharmacies and regional pharmacies. And you would literally look up and Walgreens would be building on one corner. CVS would be on the opposite corner.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and again, I got no evidence of this, and I don't want anybody to say, hey, Gerard said that Google's coming. No, I don't know that. Uh, but I do believe, I'm, I'm confident in this, that the world will take note of this. The world will notice. Hey, what Amazon, what are they doing there? Why are they spending that much money? I also don't believe that the investment here will cap out. At this amount, Uh, I just, again, it's just a gut feeling, but I think it's my feelings are just guided on some degree of understanding of that industry and also just paying attention and observing what the company has done in the past in other similar investments. They've always come in at the end of the day at a much higher figure than what is originally proposed. And uh, announced, and that's that's fantastic. That's great news. And in fact, t- to my point here, uh, Rhino, one of the provisions in the package approved by the legislature is a thirty-year rolling sales tax exemption that requires that the company make annual minimum investments of five hundred million bucks and fifty additional jobs they would receive a, a sales tax abatement on equipment purchases, by the way. So in a data center environment, you've obviously got IT equipment, but you've got lots of sort of non-IT equipment, physical infrastructure, we call it. That would be racks and cabling and humidifiers, And uh, all sorts of electrical infrastructure, a massive amount. In fact...
3: Specialized fire suppression.
2: uh, Exactly. In fact, in the data center that uh, my company built back in 2001, we were the first in the state, one of the first in the nation, actually, to install energy gas as a fire suppressant. And the reason... And that was revolutionary um, from the old way of doing it uh, of uh, installing fire suppression systems which was halon gas and as I'm sure you know but many of our audience may not when halon is dispersed into an environment humans can't function in that environment right. but with energy gas it reduces the oxygen level just enough to extinguish the fire but allow humans to still function in the environment. That was a big deal uh, and when we and a couple of my engineers had, had gone out and done the research, had figured out and said, yeah, we ought to think about this new energy and gas stuff. And it was fairly new at the time. Got to remember, this is 2000, 2001. So, but that's common today. But to your point, yes, there's a massive investment in. Because uh,
3: you can't, I mean, it's a big building. You would think, okay, just put up the sprinklers. Except you got a whole bunch
2: of really important electronics that can't get wet. They don't like water, <laughs> we found. But you're right. So, you, energy and gas extinguishes the fires. Uh, we, of course, God forbid, we ever have a fire in that environment, but, but to the point here, it's, it's specifically on the IT equipment, this rolling 30-year tax exemption, but not on all this other f- – and a lot of services involved as well uh, that would be procured that, that are outside of just the procurement of this equipment, which qualifies for this exemption, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if you don't have a fairly large staff – of electricians that's typically found in large data center campuses because you're constantly dealing with electrical issues and electrical tasks and those require skilled electricians of course that's something that uh, data people don't do network engineers don't deal with electricity just as typically electricians don't deal with uh, data sort of tasks so but cool deal really big deal really excited Lots of people working their butts off behind the scenes to bring this thing home to the great state of Mississippi, and uh, I was pleased to meet, uh, again, a couple of the Amazon executives and and heard just lots of positive feedback about our our people, our team, our state, and so uh, this is a massive investment from which the entire state will ultimately benefit, but more importantly, as the governor said yesterday, this positions the state. Uh, for this sector, something that we don't have a huge concentration of, but I always felt like that uh, we were poised for it. And so this is a big break that we needed that I think uh, sets us on the path to attract even more a uh, high-tech industry. Lots of times they like to congregate around these big data center facilities. That's what's happened everywhere else this has occurred. I fully expect that would uh, happen here as well. And, of course, uh, that that would create Lots of other jobs outside of just those required to operate a physical data center. Big time news. Big time. Um, there is also included in the package, there's some money for sewer system, water system, uh, fire station, and some road infrastructure as well. Uh, I think, Rhino, that adds up to what? About $230 million, $215 million, $215 million is, uh, or loans, by the way, uh, to the county for these infrastructure improvements. And the county, of course, is going to receive lots of tax revenue from the project, and that's what will be used to pay back the state. think this thing will be in operation. Two campuses, one just south of Canton, the other in Ridgeland, not far from our position here, our location here. Uh, I'd say three years uh, to be up and running is kind of what's being projected. We're stepping aside for a break, coming right back in the Element Well studio.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. I feel free. I feel free. I feel free. I feel free. (laughs) <laughs>
2: welcome back everyone it is midday super talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studio. Yeah, I know you use Halon, uh, uh, Thomas, and I d- totally disagree with it. it. It is a slightly more effective fire suppressant, but if your goal is to put the fire out and be able to function in the environment, then you need energy. and energy is more commonly used, but I mean, it, this is crazy to even debate that, but I'm just pointing out, that's what he said. And of course he's also questioning the availability of dark fiber and the usability of that. Oh, but Amazon, they don't have anybody smart enough to, to figure that out. They haven't investigated that over four years though. No, nah, they've just they're just waiting. Oh, by the way, this fiber's unusable. Yeah, ten billion down the drain. Man, don't you give anybody any credit? I mean they're a five hundred billion dollar company. Their Amazon Web Services Unit is by the way, which is the only business unit that actually produces a profit, is uh, on a run rate of about $100 billion of annual revenue, generating uh, just short of $30 billion of net operating income. Give them a little credit, man. They know what they're doing. We can get into all kinds of deep discussion. And by the way, I can hang in there with you on this subject matter. I know a little bit about it as well if you want to start getting into the details and the nuances of uh, categories of fiber and suitability of fiber. I've terminated a bit of fiber in my day. My data center, by the way, sat on the ring, that my company's data center, I should say, sat on the ring which encircled the, the city of Jackson. Allstate Corporation built that building in 1978, knowing that's where it would be located. And that's why they built that call center, which during its peak hosted um, house, I should say, some 1,200 call center agents. You can imagine the telecommunications bandwidth you'd have to have to accommodate that. And so it's a perfect place to locate a data center because you eliminated the last mile risk. You just pulled fiber up from the, from the basement, <laughs> up a couple of floors. That was your last mile, up the elevator shaft. In fact, other carriers co-located equipment uh, fiber optic network equipment on our floor in a rack. Paid a small amount of money for the co-location services uh, just uh, because of the location, because it sat right there on the fiber ring, which makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm saying the dark fiber will work for the speed they need, uh, Thomas, because of the uh, the network electronics that will terminate that fiber. Absolutely. It's amazing to me that you're questioning the uh, the knowledge and the, uh, the research and the evaluation of all of this sort of infrastructure um, by a company that's pretty good at this. I mean, they're the largest data center operator on the planet. They've got facilities across the planet. So I, I give them a little credit. Don't you think that they know what they're doing? But go ahead and question it all day long. I mean, have you ever said anything positive ever about something like this? That's what kind of bothers me is that, man, can't we just be happy for a day? I pointed out to the governor when he got asked by um, a reporter at the at the session, at the announcement after the session. and you
3: really call him a reporter? He's
2: well, more like an
3: activist with a press badge. <laughs>
2: that's true. And he was asking the question, and we went over it, about how do you square this with Republicans being so vocal in their opposition of EVs? And the governor, I applauded him, man. I was back there kind of fist-pumping to myself. He just he got a little animated and said, can't you just be happy for one day and leave the politics aside just for one day? You could attack me tomorrow or something like that. So, uh, but that's fine. You know what? Look, uh, it's a a great free country, and you can express your views, and now we have all these tools that allow you to do it in a way that a lot of people can hear what you think. That's what's changed, is it not, Rhino? It's not like just a one-on-one conversation in a room somewhere. Now you can go to this thing we, we have called the Internet, where you can just say any dang thing you want, and the whole world sees it.
3: Yeah, it's a combination of the internet and society's seeming unwillingness to deal with shame. That's right. Because there was a point in time where a lot of people <laughs> that say a lot of stupid things on the internet would have been ashamed of
2: being so dang ignorant. Uh, I, I totally agree, and it's—I mean, I've—I've I've seen people. That have speculated. This is a Facebook data mining facility so they can track all of your activities. What the hell's that got to do with Facebook? And by the way, that's not data mining. That's not what that is. So these are people that just sort of throw out these technical terms, have no idea what they mean, don't understand the relationship, uh, and, and certainly don't understand the services that would be produced. I've also thought, based on a lot of negativity I've seen, the fact that this is not uh, a, a big building with a door on one end and a door on the other and raw materials come in on one side and finish goods, roll out the other. They have a hard time understanding how this thing's any of any value. And that's because, which is kind of a good thing because I'm holding up my phone now, all this data that we access and all these apps and all these tools we use these little cool things for, that just lives in these facilities, and you don't have a clue. And you shouldn't have to. We don't want you to. That's the whole idea is to deliver that experience that is convenient that you don't have to worry about. And these, these, uh, these companies such as AWS and the long list of others – that have created these giant cloud uh, environments uh, essentially isolate you from all that, which is the way it's supposed to be. You don't really think about everything behind the scenes that makes, in fact, just makes this text exchange possible. Is a massive amount of complex technology behind the scenes. It's been building up for 20 years, 25 years. That's where we are. It's a good thing, man. It's a good thing. And... I feel quite certain that if Amazon has investigated the fiber that's available and if if they feel like they need more, uh, I'm pretty confident they'll figure that out (laughs) and they'll install more, or they'll contract with third parties to do so. There are companies that are in the dark fiber business. You want to plant fiber to connect facilities together, locations together? Man, you hire them, they'll go do it. I've done it before. They'll do it.
3: Look at it in something different than data, because that can be a little upper-level, above-the-head thinking. Think about it something like you're you're going to invest a billion dollars to start an ice manufacturing plant, where you're going to make ice. Right. Aren't you going to research how much water you could get into that building? <laughs> Probably. You're not just going to put, I'm going to put a billion dollars into this. Yep. Wait, all we got's a garden hose? <laughs>
2: On the ceasefire tax line, I'm hearing solar farm in Washington County will send power to Madison County. Never heard of that. Now, is it possible that the solar farm will produce energy that they will sell into the overall electrical power grid? Sure. That's what happens more than not. But I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, any dedicated solar uh, farm systems or solar energy installations that would uh, provide power to this these facilities i've not heard that i'm not saying it's not true i just hadn't heard it i know energy was a critical part crucial crucial part to uh to make this deal a success and to 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 secure it It, crucial absolutely and uh, my hat's off to them Uh, Their management team, their engineering team, all the above that were involved in this uh, from the get go, going back nearly four years ago, and uh, stepped up to the plate here. It's a good thing, man. Really is. Really excited about it. So, um, by the way, we got lots of other news from across the country as uh, well. So, Okay, Tate said the Delta-Washington County will benefit from Madison County Amazon data centers and news conference. Okay, I, I don't know exactly what that means other than, sure, if they're se- they could be selling power into the grid, and we know that Entergy is going to produce more power, significantly more power, roughly a third more than they presently provide to their footprint in the state of Mississippi. That could be a part of it because they, they're consuming power. Uh, their sources. Uh, or multiple, and this could be one of them. I don't know that. And if the governor said that, okay, I, I believe that's right. But I, there are no, that I've not seen any plans, and I've seen a bunch of them that show a solar farm that is adjacent to the facilities. And I, I, I don't know, Rhino. I can't imagine there would be, but it's possible, I guess, some sort of physical connectivity directly from a solar farm. To a location like this over that distance, that's typically not how it works. Now, again, them selling it to the power company, which would just be part of their overall mix of sources to generate electricity, absolutely. I can see that. And so on that basis, because energy is going to be needing to generate more power, sure, that would be a part of it, and they would benefit. It makes perfect sense to me. We're stepping aside for a break. Don't forget Alyssa Arbuckle with Super Talk Mississippi News at eleven twenty.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now
2: you have a good one.
3: To wonder I can think at all And my lack of education has
2: We are back in the Element Well Studio. We appreciate you joining us. You've probably seen the scandal involving Arizona GOP share and candidate for U.S. Senate, Carrie Lake. I mean, it, it really is rather shocking. And we're not going to play the whole whole clip here, but essentially, just kind of bullet it down for you, there was uh, I'd say a bribe that was made by the GOP chair. Well, attempted bribe. Yeah. Attempted bribe, right. An offer for Ms. Lake to back out of the race. And she said that she was staying in and she wasn't interested in any bribe. And they also floated the idea of jobs elsewhere and and other inducements if she would back out and she said no and apparently she was recording it the audio and uh, that leaked that got out there it may have been by her I first saw it a couple of days ago on Megan Kelly's Twitter account she was stunned of course and it was it essentially was um, a I don't know that I would call it a threat or a blackmail, but I would say it was more inducement and illegal inducement, honestly. And so the GOP chair has since resigned. That occurred, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday is when the GOP chair said, okay, I'm stepping down. And the Republican Party posted on social media that uh the GOP chair Mr. DeWitt believes he was set up in a bid by Lake to quote have control over the state party huh man I listened to that that tape I I didn't see it quite that way I think he's uh I think he's trying to cover up what really went on honestly and, and offer a different slant on it that's not at all what happened it's disturbing I don't know that this is uh, as widespread as many people think, but I, I – and, it, you know, honestly, if it had come from someone other than the GOP chair, if somebody just outside says, hey, look, if if you don't run, I'll make a contribution to your PAC or your campaign uh, war chest for a future run, just not for this office, or, hey, in the meantime, I could offer you this employment over here and, and get you set up for that for you to back out, but when it comes from who's supposed to be neutral and support all candidates in the party, such as the chair of a party in a state, that's different, in my view. And that, uh, no, that, that is totally inappropriate and really disgraceful at the end of the day. So Ms. has says she's staying in, she's not going anywhere. Here's what I have concerns about, though, and maybe this will fade away, is that the Democrats will very effectively leverage this. Look at the GOP, it's totally corrupt, and they'll, they'll use it in a state that is pretty much split down the middle in terms of voters, where an election could go absolutely either way. So DeWitt also said that Lake threatened to release an even more damaging recording if he didn't resign, so he felt like he was being blackmailed. Well, dude... You screwed up to start with. I mean, the one that's been released is enough for you to vamoose, in my view. That's that's disturbing and dis- despicable, and I hate it for Arizona. I hate it for the party overall. And again, you know the Democrats are going to pick up on this and uh, and and try to leverage it. I believe, and I. I fear that that may have some effect, and where we won't, don't want it to, we want to capture that Senate seat. It's going it's to be a critical one. I think Ms. Lake would be a, uh, a fine senator, honestly. Yesterday, you may have seen the president, good grief, man, he, and, and I'm sort of prefacing my analysis here, analysis here with that good grief because. A lot was incoherent in a speech yesterday, and I'm not trying to pile on the man whatsoever, but I am concerned. I'm concerned about him being the commander-in-chief of this great nation, and I'm certainly concerned about the prospect of him being reelected. But some of his mumbling was was in, in, uh, not inaudible but in, incomprehensible, <laughs> would be one way to put it. Uh, It it certainly was the mumbling of a person who is, I think, suffering from some degree of mental cognitive decline. I don't see how you could could describe it any other way. Uh, But he was in in a swing state. Got to have Wisconsin critical to winning the White House. And he was bragging, boasting about Bidenomics. And we predicted it after we got some reasonably positive economic data. And by the way, we got some more. This morning, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, below expectations, now with a two-handle on it at 2.9%. 2.9%. It's essentially a, a gauge of inflation. I think of a much more accurate one than the CPI and the one the Fed pays more attention to. We also got news on the economy where the, uh, the GDP jumped up more than expected in the fourth quarter, 3.2%. Consumers... Still out there spending money, so uh, I'm not crediting Joe Biden for those those numbers, for those those positive reads on the economy and inflation, but he will take credit for it as all presidents do. So I, I certainly don't blame him for running around and and uh, holding that up as as uh, something very positive under his watch. I don't. Happen to think that any of his policies contributed to it. In fact, I think we'd be way better off were it not for his policies. But he makes a statement about it, and once again he attacks the uh, the Trump tax cuts and and uh, and and honestly the uh, economic situation during the Trump years. But just to, just again, he can't help himself. He he lies about. This 8% effective tax rate on the 1,000 the billionaires in this country, and it's once again based on how many times do we have to explain this, and I'm not preaching to our audience here, but I feel like we got to tell the country, um, because Mr. Biden certainly won't expound on it, that's based on unrealized capital gains. It's based on just an increase of the value of their asset holdings, which are not subject to tax. We don't have a wealth tax. Thank God. They want one desperately, but they always pull that 8% crap thinking that those billionaires got some way to scam the tax code and they're paying less than the teacher down the street. He's paying 12%, 13%. And that's just baloney. That is a farce. It is a lie. It's a based on this, this um, hypothetical calculation, which includes unrealized capital gains, income they really did not receive or incur. We don't tax that, thank God. And I lament the time that we ever do. I mean, I I pray that never happens. It would be destructive. And by the way, countries such as over in Europe, France, who tried that, quickly realized it was a bad idea. And it caused lots of harm to their economy, and uh, it damaged the country's fiscal situation. And they repealed them. Yet we have fools over here like Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, who want to follow that model, which failed. Doesn't make any sense. So it's it's just it's phony, it's disingenuous. He doesn't know. What I just described there, you think, Rhino, there's any chance he understands that. Somebody just said, (laughs) not a clue. It's 8%. Go say that, Joe. (laughs) That's what happened. And by the way, the train seals in the audience, yeah, you tell them, Joe, those billionaires are paying 8%. They don't have a clue either. None. So it... I'm tired of those lies, honestly. And, and make no mistake, you're going to hear this over and over and over. This this class warfare rhetoric on the um, on the campaign trail, and uh, of course he always blasts trickle down economics of my predecessor. What the hell does that mean? Nobody even knows. He said, quote, my predecessor, he chose a different course, trickle-down economics, cut taxes for the very wealthy and big corporations, increasing the deficit significantly. That's exactly what happened. No, Joe, that's not what happened. You spent out your rear, and that caused deficits. Revenues are up, but it still ain't enough. The revenues are up, even with tax cuts. And by the way, the increase of of household income is up about $4,000. Under Joe Biden, it was up 6,300 under Donald Trump at 1.9% average inflation. It's up $4,000 under Biden with, since he's been in office, about 17% inflation. So wages have not yet caught up with inflation, whereas during the Trump period, wages dramatically exceeded the increase in cost. That's an increase of real net wages. People know that, they remember that, they see that, but you keep telling those lies there, Mr. President, because I think people got you figured out. We are stepping aside for a break. Besides Alyssa Arbuckle at 1120 today on Middays, we've got Speaker of the House, Jason White at 1205. The president said, Mr. Trump's tax cuts increased. Oh, no, pardon me. He said, "Trump, pardon me. Yeah, Trump stripped good paying jobs and shipped them overseas. That's not true. That is not what happened. That's just a bald faced lie, man. Gosh, Dolph, can't we just tell the truth? Let's, well, he's got a D by his name, so he's incapable. Well, let's look, I'm happy to debate the differences in tax policy, but let's do it. Grounded in fact. You've got to start with the facts. And then let's debate the facts. Because this phony 8% effective tax rate is just a lie. It is. If you took the thousand billionaires' tax return and divided the amount of tax they paid by their adjusted gross income, you won't get 8%. You won't. Good grief. Not to mention that the top 1% in this country pay 42% of total federal taxes. It's a little scary to think how reliant we are on such a small segment of the population. It really is. Unbelievable. In fact, the top 1% pay more taxes in terms of dollar of taxes, dollars of taxes than the bottom 90. That's incredible when you think about it. Now, what they'll say is that it's just its immoral, it's, it's uh, unfair that they achieve this level of wealth. In fact, our old buddy Robert Rush, as Rush Limbaugh used to famously say, yesterday he said, corporations say they were forced to raise prices, but profits have increased at a faster rate than cost. Oh, you mean so they achieved efficiencies, and they were able to to control pricing in a way that the market still was willing to buy their products and services. That's called capitalism. Now average margins in nearly every sector in the S&P 500 are running near or above 10-year highs. Hello? Okay, so we're supposed to call these corporations and say, you're just charging too much. You're making too much money. you got to stand down. you got to lower your prices. But you know what happens when things go south for them? Nobody shows up then to help them out. I guarantee you, you're on your own, dude.
3: Unless you're a car manufacturer or airline or
2: oh yeah, if you're one of the the, the too f- big to fail. If you're one of the favored corporations based on the industry you're in, yeah, and your 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 status. But it's it disturbs me that we have people who have. Lots of followers who buy into everything they say just constantly just smear corporations and really uh, they're just detractors of the idea of profit. Profit's just evil and wicked and immoral. And uh, that's just so wrong, so counter to what made this country great. And, and not understanding how critical profit is to our very existence and to create massive amounts of opportunity. Unfortunately, the government, uh, I guess, provides funding and dollars to a lot of people on the sidelines that will not participate in all these opportunities, won't seize on them. Won't capitalize on these opportunities. So the people that do go out, and you know what they, that happens? They achieve wealth. And he's just waiting in the wings to tear them down, to smear them, to besmirch them, to demean them. You're rich. You're making money. Well, you know what? I would say to all you righteous, followers, quit consuming all the goods and services these corporations make if you don't like it. Just yeah, that's the it. ultimate
3: irony: is them fawning all over him on Twitter, using their iPhone, sitting <laughs> in <right>. their air-conditioned <laughs> apartment after driving their car.
2: That is so true, so true, and and not re- realizing all those conveniences that they enjoy, everything behind the scenes <laughs> that was involved in just producing that convenience, that good, that service. No idea. Just to your point, using an iPhone, connected to the Internet, no idea how massive is all the infrastructure and the number of employees behind the scenes that enable that simple task, that simple convenience of just dialing up something on your dang mobile phone and how long it took to create all that. And a lot of people got wealthy doing it. Shame on them. But guess what? It's like air. We're all addicted to it. Quit giving them your money. Apple, the most profitable company on the planet, $115 billion of net income on sales of about $450. Just throw away your iPhone. Go buy somebody else's. Oh, by the way, they make a bunch of money, too. And if they didn't, you wouldn't have these tools. These innovations, these niceties, these conveniences of life that we're all that we all enjoy, that we all benefit from, that we all use to produce income for ourselves—it ain't that hard to figure out. Break time. It's time for Fox News Super Talk News. Coming right back. Alyssa Arbuckle at eleven twenty. Jason White at twelve oh five. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday's live from the Element Well Studio. On this Friday, y'all. righty, I'm watching uh, Mitch McConnell here on the screen. They uh, they're working on this border package, which includes aid to Ukraine, and it looks like the whole thing's falling apart at this point. We'll see. It's ridiculous to me. That we have to give money to a foreign country to do what we should be doing all the long? How hard is it
3: to just take care of one issue without having to dogpile these other issues into it just because it fits whatever
2: narrative or prerogative you have? Unbelievable. I want to go back to this Robert Reich's philosophy that all corporations are evil and so is profit and so is wealth and, and so are anybody or any people who achieved any sort of financial success. What is it exactly they want? And, I, and I'm afraid the answer to that is they want government control over the private sector. That, in fact, is classic socialism. That's what they want. We're going to regulate how much you can make, what you're going to sell it for, and thus, how much profit you will produce. And that's what bothers me more than anything. That is their goal. And Is it not arrogant and selfish on their part, even though the corporations and the wealthy people are those who they paint as selfish? Is it not selfish to want to control the assets produced and owned by others? That's like the height of selfishness. That's the most egregious, ultimate form of it.
3: With a nice veneer of narcissism on top.
2: I would agree. But this is a power-hungry nut, is what it is, in my view. I, I Like... You think that if you manage this $24 trillion economy, which is what you want to do, you and your cohorts there, the Democrats in Congress, believe they actually have the hubris to believe they could more effectively manage a $24 trillion economy than the market, you know, the sellers and the consumers. And by the way, the market is the only fair arbiter of wages and prices. Well, the the saddest part of all of it is,
3: in reality, if they got their way, it would likely benefit a big chunk of society for a very short period of time. That's right. Short period of time. Until the wheels fall off because they have zero long-term planning and less than zero understanding of human nature.
2: Totally agree. And to some extent, that's exactly what happened when the likes of France implemented these egregious wealth taxes. It fell apart. Not to mention, did it fall apart from a revenue perspective? A lot of the wealthy people said, I'm out of here. <laughs> They're mobile. It's so crazy that a lot of their policies are actually regressive in, in harm. The very people that they claim to be the, the advocates for get hurt more by their policy. They actually help the rich people. That's what's so crazy. The people that they smear, that they deride. Their policies, to a great extent, are more beneficial to them. What is so crazy these days is Joe Biden's running around bragging about the stock market. And there's no doubt it's had a great run the last couple of months. But don't you recall during the Trump administration, every time Donald Trump would say something about the stock market? Because he followed it regularly. And honestly... A president should. Now, I don't know if they should say anything one way or another about it, but he would, and that's fine. He would call attention to uh, good days, for example, on the stock market. And, man, the left would go nuts. He only cares about his rich friends and have their money in the stock market. And now Joe Biden's out there doing it. Oh, how hypocritical is that? Unbelievable.
3: And he wants to take victory laps on the stock market doing well, even though, for the most part, it's ai and AI-adjacent companies that are driving the upward momentum of the stock market. No doubt. And it's his party and his ilk that want
2: to regulate AI. Yeah. And, you know, I I could get on board with some reasonable regulation of it.
3: But there's no such thing as a reasonable regulation coming from a Democrat. uh, That's the problem. A regulation is just the next step in them gaining total
2: control. And the regulation becomes an impediment to innovation. Because nothing
3: is ever enough for these people.
2: So true. If things in the U.S. are as bad as the Democrats want, this is Louie from the 662, to make it seem, why are tens of millions of people trying to come here illegally? They won't ever answer that question, Louie, as, as you absolutely know. Boy, I can't wait till those Trump-Biden debates, says Darren and Jackson. Don't think we're going to see that, Darren, unfortunately. I'd love to see that, too. Who's really running the country? Who's the person pulling the string that tells Biden what to do? Well, and I know a lot of people speculate on that. And well, Biden hasn't helped that. No, I agree, because he doesn't appear capable. Because he makes every offhand remark of, well, I'm going to get in trouble if I do he this. say more. But I think we have to recognize the fact that much of what he states is is or uh, widely held beliefs by the entire Democrat Party. It's not like he's out of step with them. They are all on board. In fact, most of them, I would say, are further left than he is, if you can believe it. And the major benefit that we have received from the House flipping at the midterm is blocking more of it. It's not that there's an opportunity to get a whole lot of the Republican conservative agenda done, because you can't get that through the Senate, and it's not going through the White House. But you can block more bad stuff, Uh, and that's probably the greatest benefit that uh, we have from divided government. You're just keeping the bad stuff. Now, what I like to see more good stuff get enacted into law? Absolutely. And, and because you sort of have this stalemate in Congress, it ends up that it's the deep state, bureaucratic, managerial state that uh, does more in terms of policy and regulation and has a greater impact On society and just our daily lives than do the people that we elect. And it shouldn't be that way. And I do give credit to Donald Trump, President Trump, for exposing that so-called deep state, the swamp. That's what he was talking about. And that's got to change. The way this country seems to be managed by these agencies, these administrators. I mean, just look at the border as an example. The Congress can't seem to get anything done on that. But you got Homeland Security, Mayorkas, who reports to the president. They're having their way with it, essentially. Well, the
3: big problem with Congress is it seems like a single-issue bill is their kryptonite.
2: Yeah, they won't do it, Willie. Everybody's got to get their hands involved. And, and uh, in this case, uh, it's the... It's that we got to give you something for Ukraine to, to get something done on the border. That just shouldn't be the case. It's an abdication of duty, and, and uh, I, I do think it could be construed that the president is in violation of his duty to uphold the law and the, and the Constitution just by not protecting the nation's borders and ensuring that it is a sovereign nation. I absolutely agree with that. Maybe Mr. Biden had a few beers before the speech, says Ricky in Aberdeen. More like chocolate ice cream, I think. Ricky, is what it was. Oh gosh. Um, okay, so folks are weighing in about. I didn't hear the, the governor's remarks yesterday about how the Washington County uh, we were talking about this solar farm will benefit, and so I offered my uh, analysis on that. Uh, I don't. I don't think. Uh, But I could be wrong that there's any plan to directly connect and supply power from that location in Washington County down to Madison County. I I would think that's cost prohibitive, honestly. But selling that or uh, transferring that power uh, into the power grid uh, operated by Entergy, which is just part of the overall uh, Entergy's production, yeah, that totally makes sense
3: and especially if energy has to up their overall output for the endeavor
2: they're looking for everything absolutely totally agree i don't understand why people complain about so-called data harvesting stay off facebook if you don't like that absolutely it's free now that's that's the thing i never have been able to i guess agree with is you're complaining about something that's free if they start charging for it and there's a contract terms and conditions that hey, we won't do this if you'll pay us for that, and they thought about that. So is Twitter, you know that. Well, it's but, a very
3: easy rule of thumb to remember. If the app is free, you are the product.
2: That is absolutely true, and I got to tell you, futurists were talking about this thirty years ago. That we were kind of in the era of transaction systems, automating transaction systems. We we ultimately knew that we would we would advance beyond that uh, to the point where the the value of all this. Information technology and and this whole digital world would ultimately be non-transaction systems, but so-called big data, which includes lots of data about you and your habits and your preferences. Yeah, that's a massive industry that makes all this stuff free. And honestly, I'm I'm happy for them to know what my buying habits are to keep it free. I don't want to pay for it. I don't like it that much. So I, I think it's a pretty good deal. And I'll admit, a lot of times stuff crosses over my social media that I like and I go by. I think there's a lot of impulse. You know this, Rhino, if that weren't the case, they wouldn't do it because that's where they get their revenue. Those companies, uh, they're advertising with those platforms and they're spending money for it and that's how they derive revenue because you ain't paying for it when you're just using it. We're coming right back with Alyssa Arbuckle in the Element Well Studio.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. That's the great Rick Wakeman. And yes, a like 45-minute song, I think, Rhino. It, it, it takes like both sides, maybe. I have to flip it over to complete it. used to go to sleep to that one when I was in high school, I think, because it lasted so long. Just put the needle on there and go to bed and wake up an hour later. It's still gone. <laughs> we welcome to the program now, it's Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. All right, Alyssa, welcome to the Element Well Studio. A whole lot going on in the state of Mississippi. The big news, of course, another special session where the legislature approved and the governor signed off on a package which will secure a $10 billion economic development project that uh, coming from Amazon Web Services in Madison County, Mississippi, two sites. What do you know? Tell us about that
1: so uh the second special session they were calling it the extra extraordinary special session uh in the house yesterday uh, i thought that was pretty funny they also had a bagpipe player sure did play a couple times too uh over there in the legislature <laughs> so
2: I saw some video of that <laughs>
1: um but that's not really you know pertaining to the special session that was just something interesting they had um yep. but so about the 10 billion dollar uh, econo- um, economic development project it is the largest one in state history now uh, it surpassed the last one from uh, 2022, uh, which was for 2.5 billion dollars from Steel Dynamics.
2: Yeah, um, the Golden Triangle, and then we had 1.9 uh, billion in Marshall County last week for a mm-hmm. uh, joint venture that will produce uh, batteries for commercial electric vehicles. And now, boom, we uh, we have something we've really haven't had ever before in the state of Mississippi, and that's uh, really a massive. Uh, Commercial Data Center complex and campus, two campuses actually, coming from Amazon Web Services, the largest uh, cloud services provider in the world. So this Mm -hmm. is big time for the state of Mississippi.
1: Yeah, they were even talking about how um they have uh, in Indiana, they're having something similar to it and I think it's around 800 million yeah. that they're investing in Indiana, but then you think go to Mississippi and we have 10 billion. 10 billion. Um so everybody was really talking about that that you know there's Indiana having that and you know, multiply that by a lot and then here we are in Mississippi, both of the campuses in Madison County. Um so that's going to be a really big deal, 927 acres at the Madison County mega site, and then 786 areas at the Costa site, which is west of Tougaloo, kind of near uh, County Line Road in yep. Ridgeland, but both will be in Madison County.
2: That's right. Um, the, the one in Ridgeland, uh, fairly close to the border of with Hines County there, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the southern location, if you will, the southern in, with respect to inside the county, and then one a little further north. Uh, kind of just southwest of Canton, that is where the megasite exists. By the way, that's also where the Amazon fulfillment center presently exists. So big time deal. And uh, I've seen video yesterday of uh, big earth movers out at the megasite. This was last week, getting the site prepped to mm-hmm. pour concrete and build these multiple buildings that will house all this IT infrastructure that will comprise uh, the campus there at the mega site. Pretty neat deal.
1: Yeah, it's going to be impressive. It's a, a thousand jobs yeah. and they're calling them badge employees. There are going to be 800 of those with an average salary, kind of close to $70,000 every year. Um, which is pretty impressive. Uh, And uh, there's also, in addition, Entergy Mississippi is going to be uh, providing an energy plant that will help supply energy to both facilities. So that's going to bring in more jobs, too. It seems like it's going to be a really, really big project, more so than just $10 billion. They also have uh, the legislature appropriated uh, $44 million for the two centers yesterday. Um, And they also... Um, approved a 215.1 million dollar loan that's going to go for local public infrastructure improvements. So that's improvements to the sewer system, which is going to get the majority of that. That's going to be 171.5 million dollars of that 215 million. And then there's roads, water, and a fire station. So there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking up there and a little bit south or north of Jackson. So a lot of developments.
2: Yeah. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Let's turn our attention to what these guys have been working on down there at the Capitol in the regular session. And uh, a, a big news coming out of the House that a House uh, concurrent resolution that would amend the Constitution to reinstate the citizen-initiated ballot measure process has passed the House, been transmitted to the Senate, and that's where it presently sits. What can you tell us about that? By the way, we've got a great story about that. I believe, up on our website.
1: Yes, we do. Uh, all these things can be found online if you want any more information about uh, the $10 billion economic development project. But for the ballot initiative, we have not had an active ballot initiative process uh, in Mississippi for about three sessions so far. Yeah. And it seems like the House is trying to take some steps forward with that um, within the past couple sessions seems like there's been a disagreement between the house and the Senate over how many signatures would be required to have something, uh, placed on, you know, the ballot, uh, In previous sessions, the Senate has wanted 240,000. And, you know, before uh, we lost the ability to have a ballot initiative process, they required only 106,000. So with this new House concurrent resolution, uh, they're stating that there would be a minimum of 8% of total qualified voters to sign the ballot, uh, which we've had some discussion about the numbers of what is a qualified a voter. Is it 166,000? Is it uh, more? Is it less? You know, everybody's trying right now in the legislature to figure out what that number would actually, you know, qualify.
2: Yeah, they'll sort that out. It's actually I'm reading directly from the legislation Mm -hmm. to to, exactly what you said. It says eight percent of the total qualified electors of the state as of the date of the last gubernatorial election. Yes. So uh, I think there's a bit of confusion on uh, what constitutes a qualified elector? I did check in with the Secretary of State's office uh, this morning, and, and so you have a, a category of inactive voters that are also on the rolls that, if showed up to vote, could file an a- or sign an affidavit and cast a ballot even mm-hmm. though they're considered inactive for various reasons. And there's looked at some of the code that um, is used, as defines a process, I should say, that's used by the uh, the folks that at the county level to uh, essentially deem a person and categorize a person as inactive. But best I can tell, and from the Secretary of State, they would be part of the – of uh, the the one of the factors there in the multiplication in the math, and so that would actually push the figure up to about one hundred and sixty two thousand mm-hmm. is what would be required. That's certainly more than the hundred eight thousand in the bill which passed the House uh, three years ago, I guess, so mm-hmm. in, in the twenty um, two session, I believe, as yeah. I recall. So we'll see what happens in the Senate at this mm-hmm. point.
1: Yeah. And in the House, it really seemed like it was uh, divided between Republicans and Democrats. The final vote was 80 to 39, with those 39 votes being primarily uh, Democrats, because they've said that they believe that it's a workaround for lawmakers. They say that it does everything but restore the actual ballot initiative because you can't, you know, residents, they can't make any changes to the state constitution or abortion laws or PERS or even local laws. And then they have to provide how much would it actually uh, cost The government to be able to and cost the state to be able to uh, implement said initiative. Um, And uh, that's in this new House current House uh, concurrent resolution is all of those parameters. And the Republicans say that really they're just trying to get some kind of legislation to the Senate. Uh, They've had a disagreement over the signatures. So they're kind of going into eight percent. To kind of give it a less than a per, exact percentage or, or an exact an, an exact amount, uh, so I feel like they're going to try to see if the Senate can come to some kind of agreement, hash out some amendments for that uh, resolution, and then possibly return it back to the House so that something can get implemented. But at this time, it has a a, a few things that residents can't. Uh, proposed initiatives on
2: okay so a new let's turn our attention to this a new safe haven baby box Mm -hmm. has been installed at a mississippi hospital down in mendenhall
1: yes uh so this is the second safe haven baby box in the state uh but it is the first at a an actual hospital um so they had on wednesday afternoon they had a blessing ceremony there were some state officials there Uh, i know andy gibson was there Uh, And he covered it as well. Uh, But the first one, the first uh, safe haven baby box ever in the state uh, was unveiled in August of 2023. It was the 158th location in the nation. So uh, we're getting in there. Uh, getting a safe haven, baby boxes across the state. That was at the Long Beach Central Fire Station, and uh, now we have one uh, in Mendenhall, and there's supposed to be a third one coming to the Gluckstadt Police Station this summer.
2: Very cool. Mm-hmm. Really quick, before we go, what about Aaron and Ben Napier? Uh, <laughs> Construction of a building at Jones College. You're going to be named after them, right?
1: It's going to be a big deal and it's going to have a lot of different um, opportunities for students who are kind of in construction or, uh, you know, things like HVAC, plumbing, those kinds of specialties. I
2: saw the episode where they were informed of such. Mm -hmm. They were getting a tour of the campus and they were informed this building's going to be named after you. And um, honestly, Ben he he got emotional. He started crying about it.
1: He's an alumni, so it's yeah. a big deal for both of them.
2: Yeah, they both said they want their child to go to Jones That's College. So as well. Sweet. so cool. <laughs> yep. All right, Alyssa, appreciate you coming in and getting us updated on the news. Thanks for having me. Coming right back in the Element Wells Studio, we got Speaker of the House Jason White at twelve oh five.
0: Are you ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Midday's with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: This yes, is a story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue, two young lovers with nothing better to do than sit around the house, get high, and watch a too
2: we're back in the Element Well studio on the uh C Spire text line. Got a lot of text coming in. Gonna to try to get to those right now. Don't forget Speaker of the House, Jason White, coming in the Element Well studio in 30 minutes at 1205. Amazon just laid off a lot of computer techs in other states. They will do the same in Mississippi in a few years. The state needs a forty-year commitment before shelling out billions. Wow, Rhino, so much wrong with that statement. Let's just start with the shelling out billions. Who's shelling out billions? The
3: state. Uh, that would be
2: Amazon. Right. The state doesn't own Amazon. It will not own these facilities. It will not not own this equipment. It will not employ the people. It is providing two hundred fifty. million, not billion, dollars of loans to the county for infrastructure. And it's also providing some money for workforce development, specifically to train people and to keep the pipeline full of of, uh, uh, trained individuals that can fill these jobs that they'll be hiring. And then, of course, there are some tax abatements, sales and use tax, uh, income tax as well, so and property tax it, 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 through a fee in lieu of, but when you look at the amount of revenue, even in spite of those discounts, those concessions that will be generated, I've seen the analysis. It's a massive amount of money for the county, the school districts inside the county. Incredible. So it's once again, it's back to this, what we talked about last week with Marshall County. You can have this huge revenue stream, unlike anything we've ever seen before, or zero. Make a choice. So, first, the state's not shelling out billions. Not even remotely close. In fact, it's about a quarter of one billion. (laughs) Singular billion. Secondly, Amazon's not laying off computer techs. Amazon laid off some people in their prime video division in MGM Studios, the MGM Studios operation, which they bought last year, actually in 22 for $8.5 billion. They are rapidly scaling Amazon Web Services, which is the business unit that will operate and does operate their data centers across the world. And that's largely driven, as you pointed out earlier, by this, uh, this AI explosion. Can you name a company of any size or significance that isn't investing in AI. You couldn't. Nope. And by the way, even small companies who, who are not, don't really have the means or, or the need, you know what they're using? Tools that are being produced by the other companies that are investing in it. Even their run-of-the-mill business transaction software. Oh, yeah, there was a, a funny
3: story a couple weeks back where it was a car dealership, I want to say in South Carolina or North Carolina. It was somewhere over on the eastern seaboard. Where they hired somebody to build them a little AI chatbot to where if you went to their website, you could talk to the chatbot about getting a car, setting up an appointment. Except they didn't put any parameters on the chat bot, so you could just use it like any other AI
2: bot. <laughs> just a standard chat GPT. And you had
3: people going in there asking it all kinds of weird stuff, <laughs> or get or setting their own parameters to the point where it had to respond in a certain way, and like, that's a deal, and this is a binding contract. And then they'd go, like, oh all gosh. right, I want a brand new Ford F-350 for $1. What
2: do you think? And it would respond with, that's a deal, and this is a binding contract. Unbelievable. Uh, the misinformation around this thing, I, I just had a friend, by the way, send me a, uh, a a discussion, a thread, you know, on social media, and this person is a detractor, a contrarian, a complainer. A troll. Yeah, exactly, who says... Uh, I witnessed the consultants of companies lie to economic developers, mayors and governors to get tax breaks. Some states and municipalities are dumber than others. Data centers are big nothing burgers. Guess what he just used to write? That? <laughs> A data center, you idiot? Oh my gosh, how can they be so dumb? And he says they give nothing to the local economy. Congrats on giving away your electricity. You've seen this, haven't you? There are people who maintain that we're going to be in the dark because these facilities are going to consume all the power, who have not paid attention to the fact that, as we pointed out on the show here, Entergy is making a massive investment to increase their power footprint and their power capacity, which is the only reason that they came. I shouldn't say the only. One of the key reasons they came. You heard Bill Cork on our news, the head of MDA, say, yeah, two big things were really in play here, this massive amount of fiber we have planted in the ground as we have the, the intersection of uh, fiber backbones that traverse the state going north and south and east and west. We just happen to be in the crossroads of that, just like we are from an interstate perspective. In fact, that's where a lot of it is. You think about 20 and I-55 north-south, and, and further south, by the way, I've always laughed at the fact that you get on I-10 down there in Gulfport and get to L.A. without seeing a stop sign. That's true. Or a stoplight. All the way, as an example. But nonetheless, um, I, I don't know where all the misinformation comes from, and people really ought to kind of just be quiet without understanding the facts.
3: It's what I was talking about yesterday where people just want to argue in bad faith and then double
2: down on dumb. I guess so. It's crazy. Pat Dale from the Delta wants to know where the solar farm is going to be in Washington County. I don't know exactly, so we'll see what we can find out about that. If the Texas National Guard or state police, this is also on the ceasefire text line, arrest border patrol agents for conspiracy to commit a crime or aiding and abetting if they witness border agents letting illegals into the country, what happens there? I mean, this is a bit of a standoff, is it not, between uh, the state of Texas and now some 25 other governors have also uh, stated their support. For Governor Abbott's actions there, and you got the Biden administration threatening to seize control of the National Guard, and it's just not good when you got border control and National Guard conflicting and contending with each other. And it's simply because the president won't do his job, to secure the border. And so I support Governor Greg Abbott, who's taken action and has mobilized the state's National Guard to install razor wire. And then you got the Supreme Court that gave permission, didn't tell, didn't order, by the way, the National Guard or Border Patrol agents to go out there and snip the wires. They gave permission to the Biden administration to, uh, t- to instruct Border Patrol agents, which are under federal purview, to do so. But it's not good when you've got the National Guard and, um, and, and federal government employees, Border Patrol agents in this case, that are at odds with each other. Not a good situation. So I'm glad to see the other. And by the way, I was surprised to see one of the governors who signed on to uh, the statements in support of Governor Abbott, the governor of Oregon. Maybe they're starting to see. They're getting overwhelmed. You know, all the nutty liberals up there. Oh, well, nobody is illegal. Come on in and all that kind of crap. Signs in their yard and (laughs) junk. Like, but you won't open your home up for them, though, will you? Unbelievable. Really is crazy. Uh let's see here. What else do we would we get here? Uh we got it's Atlas Shrugged, 2.0. <laughs> oh my gosh. Also said, Hey, did you hear that Thomas is investing ten billion dollars into the Mississippi economy? Me either. Oh man. What is Robert Reich's personal wealth? I don't know. That's from Ken and West Point. It's a good question, though. I don't have any problem. With these companies making money and profits, regardless, it's like you said, you have a choice who you spend money with. I do have issues with how all these good old politicians get rich in office, though, most of Dems and presidents included. Not quite as prevalent. I hear you, and I agree. And most of that happens, honestly, when they exit office. They get speaking and book deals and lobbying deals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, While they're in office, not quite as lucrative, not like it once was. Uh, that, a lot of that has, has been kind of brought under control. But I hear you, and it is, it is hypocritical, and I do think it is why they stay. Um, and, and a lot of them then exit, and they have these huge deals waiting for them, as you know, and they get filthy rich after office. There is, uh, and us retirees have funds invested in these corporations and want them to make money. Absolutely. Good point. So, it, it, Exactly. So it's, I wouldn't call it trickle-down economics. But what's bad about making a profit? Somebody help me understand, why is that bad for society? Profit is the mother's milk of economic prosperity and improving the quality of life for everyone. No profit, no improvement in the quality of life. Just simple as that. And that's across the spectrum of everything we consume whether it's health care or technology or housing or all these other devices and tools and niceties and conveniences we're all uh, accustomed to that we all enjoy, well, all that's driven by profit. It ain't that hard to figure out. Jeff in Forest County, I would love to hear your opinion on why MAGA conservative, right, uh, conservative wing wants to ditch NATO. They don't understand why we need Europe and just hand it over to Russia. That's not really what uh, is at play here, uh, Jeff. The problem is NATO ain't paying their fair share to uh, defend the West. That's the fundamental problem. And so it's not ditching NATO and saying, hey, look, guys, we ain't going to play... And you need us worse and more than you need us unless you pay your fair share into this deal. We're shouldering the cost of keeping the world intact. That's what's wrong, and President Trump's pointed that out. Coming right back. Stay with us. He's with Gerard.
0: Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
2: Rick O'Kassick in the cars. We are back in the Element Well Studio. The world's largest cruise ship's going to set sail tomorrow. I've seen some videos. I think it is incredible. Wow, that's pretty cool. The Dow's turned negative now, down nine points. Spent all over the place. Up earlier as much as hundred and forty points, but it has paired uh, those gains. Now is plunging into negative territory, but not by a whole lot. Uh, kind of hanging around the unchanged line. Stephen Pontotoc says, Amazon also offers some remote jobs, and if I had the computer skills, I would try that. Yeah, and there's something else we should also point out, Rhino, is that uh, management of the technology in a data center that doesn't require uh, physical access to it is done remotely through what are called network operations centers. And you don't see a lot of, of uh, images and video of those intentionally. You want to sort of keep those uh, under wraps, and so the whole it's world a trade secret. Yeah. yeah, and and so, but I can tell you, these are these are Star Wars looking facilities with gazillions of giant screens and sort of a dark setting. Usually, it's kind of a tiered um, installation of work. Desks and stations, and most of these engineers have a bunch of screens and keyboards in front of them. And then Looks you got
3: like a, a NASA control room. Uh,
2: uh, times about a hundred. Yeah. but yeah, you're right. So, and what they're doing is they're they're monitoring and managing the war room from. <laughs> That's right. What was it called? War games yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, but and so most of that is done remotely, and these are highly skilled engineers that all have their own specialty and their own little area and their own sort of catalog of, of systems devices software etc that they're constantly monitoring using very sophisticated monitoring and management tools and they do uh, the administration and remediation when errors pop up but you've got some folks that have to be there physically as well and they'll have network operation centers at the facilities here in Madison County as well so it's a it's a fascinating business it's a big world but the the whole industry of what's called RMM remote management monitoring of networks has exploded over the last 15, 20 years just because we've been installing a lot of networks <laughs> across the globe, honestly, since then. So uh, remember the company SolarWinds and another one, Kaseya, which, oddly enough, were breached a couple of years ago. Remember that? And the problem that that caused is that... They sell their tools to companies that use them to manage either their own networks or third parties, um, what are called managed services providers, to manage companies, their customers' networks. And it's a problem because it allowed the bad guys to kind of get some degree of access into their customers' companies, not just the company itself that makes the software, but those who use it. Uh, And it's just a a risk because bad guys are smart. They just are. And, And think about it. A company like SolarWinds, they got some of the best software engineers on the planet. And even their environment was subject to breach, despite the fact that they got arguably the best uh, data security tools available and and, uh, implementation available for threat detection and mitigation response and so forth. But it's a cat-and-mouse game that goes on forever. That's why there's so much demand for people with those skills. Can't, Can't produce enough of them, honestly. But yeah, they're going to continue to hire people and AWS in particular. Let's see here. So on the C Spire text line, how can we make business owners pay what's fair? And it says at least sixty thousand. So what if they lose money? Should they still pay sixty thousand? I'm not following that. So if they make a billion dollars, they pay sixty thousand and they make a hundred thousand. They make sixty thousand. If they make fifty thousand, they pay sixty thousand. So you see, you honestly see the problem with this. I'm not sure what this uh, this person saying on our ceasefire tax line. I'm not following. There is an alternative minimum tax, and I mean the tax code's a tax code. Why business owners? Why why not feed people that work in business? Is he talking about payroll salary? I'm not sure. Is he saying they should pay them at least sixty thousand? Like that should be a minimum wage? No matter that what, that would
3: be well, that's government 30. overreach. That's if the government's 30. telling the company you gotta pay a certain amount.
2: Well, that wouldn't work. The economy would crash. Is what would happen. That's thirty bucks an hour. So, I mean, you think about say jobs right now that are being paid fifteen dollars an hour. We're gonna pay them thirty. I mean, that's what the Democrats want, honestly. They just think, oh, you just pull that out of the pocket and just, you know, increase your payroll. No big deal. Don't worry about it. It's just unbelievable um, how folks think about that kind of stuff. What else we got on the c text line here? What's going to happen on the border deal? So, um, well, Republicans take it or bow to Trump. I don't know. Uh, what, what Trump has shown support for the border deal, but it's my understanding that he's now voicing opposition because of the Ukraine compromise component. Is that what you understand, Rhino? That's That's my understanding, yeah. Yeah, so um, I know there's some who feel that, oh, he just wants to kind of save that issue. And I'm not honestly convinced that what is being proposed by Republicans in this package would totally solve the problem at the border. I think it may help some. And, of course, the president is saying, oh, yeah, we have a problem at the border. The Republicans won't give me any money, but he wants more money to process more into the country. He doesn't want it to secure the border. He fails to mention that little nuance whenever he discusses this. Well, folks, we're at the noon hour in Mississippi. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. And on the other side, it's Speaker of the House, Jason White. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio, rolling into the afternoon portion of the program on this. Friday, y'all. We uh, welcome to the Element Wealth Studio the Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives, Jason White. Mr. Speaker, good to have you, sir. Thanks for coming in. Yes, sir, Gerard. Good to be with you. Good well, to ha- good to have this week under our belt. Yes, sir. It's been uh, quite active. I mean, it's hard enough to conduct business in regular sessions, but <laughs> you got two special sessions right. in as many weeks, but for for a very good uh, reason. And so, I, I'm just giddy about the announcements over the couple of weeks. Uh, and thankful to you and your leadership, of course, the governor, the lieutenant governor, your members, the members of the Senate, yep. who, of course, uh, received uh, great uh, presentations from uh, Mr. Bill Cork at MDA to explain what these projects were all about, uh, the state's uh, investment in these projects and how that would work. And they saw fit to uh, get those things passed rather swiftly. So that's good. They did.
4: And, and for the most part... Um the, the membership in both chambers was extremely supportive. Um now, you know, folks wanted to make their points, political points on whatever their issues that get them up every day. You know, but sure. but, but but by and large, um there was there was almost unanimous support. good days for Mississippi. Um it made us kinda of look around yesterday afternoon and say, All right, what are we gonna do <laughs> now? You know, we can't fumble this. You know, the mo and you know, the governor talks about momentum, but yeah. the momentum is real. And it it's uh you talk about punching above your weight a little bit, you know, Mississippi. You know, three three million people. We're um, we're doing pretty good, no and, doubt. And about not it. only punching above our weight, we might have scored a few knockouts, you know. And it it truly could, um, if we can take this and run with it, it could it could change not only the way our state's perceived, but but actually, you know, the bottom line all the way around.
2: I totally agree. I, I I've uh, shared the story before, just a, an anecdotal. Uh, example of this uh, that many folks don't know, the state of Texas was struggling financially uh, back in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001. I was actually a vendor, a contractor to the state of Texas, and they were sending IOUs out and couldn't pay and uh, and it was because they become so reliant on one in, uh, industry, that being energy. That's too much concentration. And they mm-hmm. made a conscious decision to diversify their economy and now, of course, they're exploding and they All have right. that, that Austin-San Antonio corridor which plays home to more data centers than any other region of the entire nation. But it's transformed the state of Texas. and and uh, It took 20 so or so years but that's fine. I think we're on our way to, I, to experience the same here.
4: Look, I think we're on our way. And to your point of about texas they are so big and and so many people this project can have an even you know greater impact our our state is small compared to others and certainly in population so so i think you get more bang for your buck here in this way and and because we have you know we've kind of just um been in survival mode if you will for a while with 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 decisions and things and and i want to say government, obviously, because I've been involved in some of it (laughs) as as a policymaker, but not just there, but our businesses, we have, for the most part, done our very best to get out of the way everywhere we can and let private business do what private investment and business does, and that is – and and I heard uh, Amazon guy last night, we were talking, and there was a reception last night to just kind of celebrate the deal going through, and he said – our focus is on growth. And he said, if you see us and we're here on growth and growth, anytime regulatory pulls me over here, like the whole time they're talking to me, I'm trying to get back to growth. Yeah. And he said, if people will stay out of the way, this thing will grow. And I, we wanted to assure him that Mississippi, we're going to stay out of their way. We, we want them to, you know, it's kind of like a good offensive lineman. You never get your name called, but that's a good thing. And, and we don't want anybody to say that government got in the way of of our um, expanding businesses here.
2: Well, and and I know you've heard the feedback as well, as did I last night and prior, uh, from Amazon executives that uh, our state has got an environment which is very conducive and very friendly to business. We want business. We want growth. And we want them to grow and expand and be profitable and successful. That's not the case across the country. It's not. As you know, it's not often. I've been talking about this morning the case out of Washington, uh, certainly from our friends on the left. And and it's so what you just said is so perfectly stated. Just get out of the way. We got this. You know, right. don't pretend to be the private right. sector or that you can more effectively manage the affairs of private businesses. Yep. And yep. they get that
4: about Mississippi. And and it's the less is more. You know, um, and we've had lots of folks, you know, policymakers who have been focused on that. And so I think you I'm selling it as you're seeing a culmination of the last twelve years of Republican leadership um, in the legislature and in the governor's office. Leading up to this moment, um, and and it's it's cool to be part of it. And totally agree. You, totally can, agree. You, you can actually feel it a little bit. It's not just you can look at the facts and the numbers in these two deals, and it's specifically this deal this week, and and just you know start looking around and feeling pretty good, pretty quick. But it, but it's more than that. You you kind of start seeing you know, um, lots of folks are showing up and kicking tires and. You know something's going on in Mississippi that's different and cool. Totally I mean,
2: agree. It's uh, we
4: we need to make the best of it and and capitalize on it. I totally agree.
2: Well, and so and I agree with you as well that it is to a great extent a manifestation of uh, conservative policy that we've had in place now. Uh, down at the Capitol for about a dozen years, and I think that's paid off in a big way in landing these two has. projects. Yeah. I think
4: it has. And, and I remind folks the money we've spent on these two projects so far, we have written a check for. We hadn't borrowed any money yet. Yeah. Um, and so that, and when I got took office 12 years ago, we couldn't have said that. We were actually cutting state budgets, just trying to, you know, move the money around. I'm not going to say it was a shell game, but we were moving money around to be sure we were covering some bare-bones state budgets, and here we are with a full bank account.
2: And, in fact, the the latest reports uh, from DOR, um, even with uh, our tax cuts, Uh, we're still doing pretty good from a revenue perspective. That's right. Right? right? So We're
4: going to take in almost a billion more than than we budgeted and spent this past – in this current year we're in. Yeah.
2: So hopefully we can pivot to that because uh, you guys are going to get back down to business in the general session. Uh, more tax reform, potentially. You might see some legislation on that, do you feel? I think you're going to see it. And
4: particularly, just because of the the last statement I made, as long as we continue to take in hundreds of millions of dollars more than we're spending. um, And I feel like we've had some very robust budgets. We were at a a joint legislative budget committee meeting a few months ago, and, and one of the directors said, well, we're going to have agencies come in and give their critical needs. And I was like, how can we have critical needs with the way we've funded these budgets the last few years? And and I know there were some specific issues in child protective services and and, and mental health where we may have neglected and obviously found ourselves in some lawsuits. But we have we have started putting resources toward those things. So I feel like we, we have fully funded state government and our education system to the point of we're still taking in hundreds of millions of dollars. And folks are always going to be there asking for more and more and more. Um, but we hadn't spent it, and no, everything has rocked on just fine. We banked it. It's going to cause real conversations about the next step in tax reform.
2: Okay. Well, that's good news. I mean, when you've got a little cushion there, you're a lot more confident in taking some more bold steps that's right. uh, to start to reduce the uh, the tax burden on, on Mississippians. Contrast that, by the way, to the state of California, as I'm sure you're aware. It's got a $68 billion deficit right. that they're trying to deal with. That's right. Which is and they're still uh, uh, passing laws to spend more money. I was going to
4: say they're still passing laws to spend more money and raise more taxes. taxes. You know, it just keeps coming back around. We we think if we let people keep more of their money, um, it it just it levels all playing fields. They're more apt to invest it um, and hopefully save it and be in a better financial position when they want to expand their business or open their own business or whatever it is they want to do. Um, We want them to see Mississippi as truly a partner. in in a place where they can raise their family and and grow their business.
2: So the discussion uh, comes up quite a bit, as you know, Mr. Speaker, about uh, possibly reducing or eliminating the sales tax on groceries. Might we see a bill on that? You know, I would say that...
4: My leadership team in the house has not been as focused on eliminating the grocery tax as we have been on eliminating the personal income tax. Now, the lieutenant governor has indicated that is something he is, you know, he is kind of laser focused on. So, um, I'm sure you'll see discussions centered around is that an and or thing? Is there a way for a combination, you know, of those things? Um, at the same time, we would like to figure out from either from our sales tax Going forward, a way to dedicate streams of revenue specifically to what we call core functions of government, like at MDOT for our maintenance program and our capacities, because that is a real issue for us is um, it's taken, uh, you know, we've had some extra money the last few years, so we have have really beefed up our capacity projects, but we still have this problem with maintenance takes a lot of money to maintain roads and repave them and that sort of thing. And, and our 87 highway program did a great job of building them, but there wasn't a lot of forethought about long-term yeah. maintenance. And, and those things are coming back around. So, um, yes, grocery tax reduction or elimination will be part of it. Okay. We're for it. As you know, it's a double hit because we've got to make our cities whole. That's how they fund their local governments. Um, so that's a tricky equation always.
2: If you can hang around, we'll dig into some other uh, issues going on in the House. The uh, final thing I'll say about that is that may make it more difficult also to, of course, eliminate uh, the income tax.
4: That's correct. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Every dollar you that. do over there trades off against the other. That's right. that's right.
2: We've got Speaker of the House Jason White in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back.
0: Sparkle. this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: With you in the Element Well Studio, T.G.I.F. from the movie that uh, bore the same name—I think I've talked about that before—a '70s disco movie that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but the music was pretty good, it's like a lot there. of the '70s, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, what is that all about? didn't matter. <laughs> we we're visiting with Speaker of the House uh, Jason White in the Element Well Studio, so we were just talking about uh, tax reform and the possibility of further. Uh, efforts to reduce or eliminate uh, the income tax you know the governor has made that a high priority and i I just want to share this with you i actually like the very first bill to be honest with you that came out of the house I liked it. And, and I do know that. And that was like, let's get rid of the income tax in a very short period of time. And to offset that, we, we had some adjustments upward on sales tax. And man, everybody came out of the woodwork to complain about that.
4: They, they did. They did, Gerard. And look, we put a lot of thought and, and um, brought in some smart people and asked folks, if you were starting from scratch, how would you do that and fund government at this level? And, and the consumption tax, you know, it, sure. it is the way to go. Sure. And so you would never build it the way we've right. – where we are.
2: And unfortunately, through the years, we've had all these concessions there we've made, go. as you know, through through all the, the special interests that said, well, I need to have mine. And that's fine. And that, look, but that's on the books. But
4: that special interest argument that, that it created these sales tax carve-outs, carve outs, if you will, to where they get a reduced rate, illustrates the point of this. If you want more of something, you tax it less. Right. All right. Well, we want more productivity. We <laughs> exactly. want people to work and, and make their living and, and invest in in Mississippi. Let's tax it less. I completely agree. So, so you know the very thing that oh you no no we have this this is how we run our business with with this with this break on the sales tax on this particular item that we make or sell. Yeah, I'm like. I hear you, but but it demonstrates, I think, the, the converse or our point, which is l- let's try to tax work less. And, I agree. And Productivity.
2: I totally agree. All right, let's uh, let's uh, pivot to uh, education, freedom, school choice, something that has been, as you know, talked about, circulated inside the dome quite a bit through the years. We have we have some degree of school choice in the state of Mississippi, but we don't have universal school choice, and there, there are a lot of folks that like to see us expand those options even more. What do you think's going on there? Well. To your point, you know, we do have some
4: school choice in Mississippi, but but here's the thing: everybody says, you know, we we want we want some some unity and and a level playing field when it comes to educational opportunities. Well, we have choice, but we don't have that. Yeah. Folks that have plenty of money and make really good livings, they have choice. Yeah, um, they just write a check for it, or they're mobile, or they're mobile and and again, usually through some level of affluence that allows them to pick up their whole family sell the house, farm, whatever, and go to that. Yeah. All right. We are more of a mobile society anyway, so people are willing to drive certain distances for certain things, whether it's to see a movie or groceries or school, um, for their kids' education. We we are – the floor for us this year in the house is to remove the restriction um, of local school boards to be able to deny a release. In other words – this idea of portability, in other words, if you are a public school student in Mississippi and you desire to be released from your home district, we want you to have that. If the parents request that, they should be released. Now, where they're going to be accepted is a different deal. We're not ready today to force them on another school district, be it public or private. We're figuring that part out. But the floor for us now is we're, we're to a place in the house where we want every student to have the ability to to be released from their public school district, whether that local school board wants them released or not.
2: So we think that's a vital first step. A public-to-public? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's available today, but it's
4: an act of Congress to get it It's an act of Congress. And and, and I'm not – look, I'm not blaming those school boards. They've got a captive customer there. They want to keep the money, and and so they're not going to release them, except in very, very rare instances. Um, So we we want to remove that right off the front where – all you do is check the box that you're you are releasing because you want you're going to a different school district and now, you will have to s- see the receiving school district and convince them that that they should take you that you're a the viable student and good student and here's my transcript and all those things so we don't we don't have all of that worked out yet okay. Um, Arkansas, as you know, did a scaled-in approach where it was the the first folks eligible in the first years. It's based on income, um, household income, and some other things, and it's yeah. a cap. It's a cap disabilities, I think, disabilities. Things, yeah. yeah, and well, we've got some of that already. Yeah, we already with, have that with our um, ESAs. So we want to build on that and and not totally start over. We just want to build on it and and not require the release that we currently require and and phase it in. We're not looking to, you know, just. It's kind of like CON. We want to do some stuff with our certificate of need laws, but we don't want to just pull a plug on it today. We, we want to do it measured and smart and right where it's fair to the industry. Same way here. We want schools to be able to adjust because there is no denying um, what folks call the Mississippi miracle, some, some gains we've had in public education in Mississippi. We don't want to do one thing that's going to disturb that or, or disturb that momentum that they've got. They've done great things. We just want all our students to have great choices um, when it comes to their child's education. Okay. And, 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 I said this, I got in a little trouble, but in my, in my acceptance speech to the House the day we were all sworn in, um, I reminded everybody of this. We trust these parents to make every other decision in this child's life. We don't get involved in that in Mississippi if you, if you take them to church or if you don't take them to church. Um, if you make them do right or if you don't make them do right. That's your business as a parent. With very few exceptions, we don't get involved in that. Why? Would we not let them make the choice about what's best for their child? And I reminded everybody, almost every one of those parents is a taxpayer. They're paying the bill. It's not the state's money. It's their money. And so, to me, it, it we, we overcomplicate it from the standpoint of, oh, well, they're moving the pieces. It's their money to begin with.
2: The but, objection you hear a lot is that, okay, well, if we allowed that public-to-public transfer, it could overwhelm. A high performing district if they're adjacent okay. to a low performing district, and so we've got to have some sort of reasonable guardrails around that and, we not? and and for me right now again, the floor would be
4: they've got to gain acceptance period we can't you can't make anybody take you just okay. because you've got the ESA voucher all right that's the floor, okay I'm saying there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle where e- each school board could say, okay, with our long range planning, we can accept. 50 new students this yeah. year or 100. That's how Florida does it, by and, the way. Yeah, that's right. It's we've capacity-based. And again, we're not reinventing the wheel. This that's is, exactly this right. Is, other states are doing this very well. And I would just, for the lo- listeners out there, red and blue states are doing this very well. It's not, we've made it a, a, a partisan issue. It's really not a partisan issue that's around right. the country. This is about parents and what's best for their kids. All right. And hey, let a, me say this too, Jerome. Yeah, sure. My mom taught english in public school in mississippi for 34 years um i went to public school for seven of my 12 years i went to private school for five years i hear people say public school is better because of this private school is better because this i tend to agree with both of them they're attributes to both sure my point is let's let parents decide what's best for their kids um because both of them have great depending on the student needs and parents and location best choices are different around the state Let's give them the opportunity to make those choices. And again, I get it. I mean, I rode a big yellow dog school bus. 378 was the number in Kosciuszko to, um, <laughs> to first grade. I, I get it. So I don't anybody telling me that I don't understand public school. I've been involved in them. My mom was in them for 35 years. My sister is a uh, elementary principal in the public school system in Kosciuszko now. They fight the good fight. This, yeah. isn't about, this isn't about throwing shade on anything they're doing. It's about... We can support them fully, and I think we've done a better job the last few years of paying them and, and trying to get more out of the way from the testing standpoint, and we're going to continue to work on that. But it's also about our parents, and I think they know best for their kids.
2: Yeah. What about the public-to-private ESA, Mr. Speaker? Where do you where do you stand on that? I think we eventually get there. Okay. And here's why I think we
4: get there, because voters and parents are demanding it. Taxpayers are demanding it now. Again, it's kind of like our income tax structure. We we, you know, we funded state government partly on personal income tax. You, even though you and I like that first play in the house, yeah. yeah, we saw folks got really nervous and scared when we just totally yeah. pull the plug. Yep, we don't want to do that with this, so we're willing to take baby steps and get there over. Now, I want it to be a defined amount of time let 's figure out what that okay. is and have a goal, but I think we get there just because again, I think if politicians are nothing they 're self preservationist and their voters are starting to demand it so well, i think i think I think you see the tide turn with that
2: well um, seems to be there's a a, a little uh, less favorable view in the Senate than I think there is That's in the correct. house, so we 've got uh and, Did hey, it.
4: let me throw this stat out there. In Arizona, where they have universal school choice, the take rate is still under 10%. Yeah. Folks prefer their local public school in their community. Yeah. This isn't about destroying that.
2: Can you hang around? Yes, sir. Okay, we got Speaker of the House Jason White in the Element Well Studio. When we come back, uh, I'm going to get your thoughts on uh, my favorite subjects, PERS and health care. <laughs> We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Everyone, it's midday's tequila. By the way, I I like to play golf out at the TPC in uh, Phoenix. Fantastic courses, where they have the Phoenix Open, you know, and they've got this great uh, kind of upscale Mexican restaurant there in the clubhouse. And uh, there's a uh, they always have these uh, very attractive young ladies that have the. What do you call the things that cross you that they used to hold bullets? I can't remember what they call bandoleros. bandoleros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's got shot glasses, by the way, for tequila, <laughs> and her name is uh, Sheila Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> True story. So we're visiting with. Redba. I digress, but all uh, that for
4: your golf game. Exactly.
2: Right? It's Friday, so we're just having a little fun. We are talking to Representative Speaker of the House, I should say, Jason White, in the Element Well Studio. So we've covered. Uh, lots of the issues. You touched on the certificate of need laws a little bit. That's something that many of us have been trying to uh, repeal in the state of Mississippi for some time. You just said something to me that made sense, which is maybe we ought to just see if we can get something phased in to get so, something going and some traction there. I think that's a way to get buy-in from our providers.
4: Otherwise, you know, they're just going to be a, a hard stop. And that, that doesn't mean we still won't do something, but it makes it a whole lot harder um, because – you know, folks. You know, our providers are some of the largest employers in the state. It's a huge economy um, in our state. Um, folks still love and respect their local doctor and listen to them, and so um, they they carry great sway. You know, in political circles, and so that's going to always bleed into the argument. But there's no denying that that access is an issue in Mississippi now. What role C O N has played in that? Some folks that are proponents will tell you that's actually saved it or insured it now. Those are tough arguments to make, but but I I do understand some of where they're coming from. But again, it's like our tax structure. We set up on personal income tax, and so it's going to take us a little bit if we're going to get away from that. Yeah. I think it's the same way in the certificate of need world. Um, folks have invested in some cases, life savings or made you know generational investments in things based on our current structure. I'm not looking to pull the rug out from under those people, but I, I do want to start the clock toward a future where we get away from that and it gets more about, um, you know, it's, it's consumer driven and is and I know healthcare is going to always have a governmental aspect to it. And, and as I've been involved in state government, you know, it would probably turn a lot of folks' stomachs to really find out how much government is involved in the healthcare piece because it, it is big time. It's big time. Yeah. It's big business. Um, so and lots of money. And, yep. and I tell folks this, I went to my first Medicaid committee meeting 12 years ago in the legislature and you know, you think about Medicaid, that's not a sexy topic and this will probably be boring, but my wife's in the healthcare field and she's thought I should be involved. I get to that meeting and I've been to all my other meetings, transportation and, and the different, you know, wildlife, the things that, that all of us good Mississippi boys want to be involved in. I get to Medicaid in this standing room only. Every lobbyist in the Capitol is in that meeting. Um, it's not enough chairs. I'm like, what in the world? And we weren't even debating the bill that day. We were just <laughs> forming the committee. Um, it, it, it opened my eyes to the fact of just how much health care touches, in some way, everybody's lives. And, well, and here in Mississippi, it touches all Mississippians.
2: Well, as you know, uh, with respect to Medicaid, and many of our audience may not know, the, uh, the total cost of operating the Medicaid program in the state of Mississippi, combined federal and state cost, exceeds the general fund budget. That 's exactly right and
4: and among state dollars spent. It is second in our budget, number two, only to K twelve education. Yep, that's right. right.
2: That's Runs right. around a billion dollars a year. Yeah, that's right. It's increased dramatically, as you know.
4: It um, My first year, twelve years ago, here the Medicaid budget was five hundred and twenty three million dollars.
2: Yeah, and we're almost a billion. We've almost doubled it. That's and, right. And, and so has the FMAP, the federal's uh, portion as well. That's right. And we in Mississippi, because of um, our low per capita income, which is what the federal match is based on, we get the highest percentage of total Medicaid. Cost of any of the 50 states sitting around 75, 78% right. now that's these right. days. So, yeah, and I, I'm just thinking out loud. That's probably why the room was full because there's $6.5, 7000000000 billion at stake there. There you go. And so a I, lot was just,
4: I was just naive and didn't know. I figured it out pretty quick. <laughs> I, I can, it takes me a minute, but when I catch on,
2: I catch on. But, yes. Some. Roughly 800,000 now in the Medicaid program without expansion. That's right. In the state of Mississippi, just in the coverage groups. As
4: we've already talked about, there's only 2.9 million people here. It's unbelievable. So you're talking about one in four. You know, I tell people if you're at a four-way stop, somebody's on Medicaid. You know, if, that's if anybody's right. at a stop sign, somebody's on Medicaid of some sort. Um, and of course, they have a heavy presence in the long-term care world, as well as you know, with our aged and, yeah. and disabled, as yeah. well as our kids.
2: Which um, is and the and the uh, former is where most of the money goes. That's but right. It obviously doesn't go to the kids. It's very but, expensive. Yeah. That long-term care and our age expensive.
4: It's very expensive. Yeah.
2: And that's nationwide, by the way. It's that's It's not right. unique to the state of Mississippi. That's right. But uh, – and so it, it, you're, I know you know that uh, – you're familiar with the article that uh, that I've authored to just kind of address the, the subject. And one of the things I pointed out, and I think you agree with this as well, um, is that it seems like every time we have the discussion about addressing health care in the state of Mississippi, it always kind of devolves down to, yes, expand Medicaid or not. And it's right. way bigger than it's just way that. way
4: bigger than that. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And And now that – let me say this. Just – by me, as a, as a potential Republican leader at the time, being willing to say, "We're going to have a real robust conversation," and and because I'm tired of hearing, y'all won't even talk about it. Y'all won't even really look at the facts. I said, "We're we're fixing to have a real discussion about it," um, and so it, it brought people to the table who really aren't for traditional Medicaid expansion, but they've said, "Well, I just I didn't feel comfortable talking about this, but you can do this on the exchange, or you can yeah. do this with some copays, like." Where all of a sudden some really smart people are coming out of the woodwork to say, Hey, if you got 30 minutes, I want to run something by you. And, and yeah, everybody's got their angle depending on what industry they're in, but at the same time, we're, we're kind of starting to see a little bit of a, of a coalescence of, of, of ideas that also have a, Mississippi business aspect to it in that businesses and, and folks that are running either small businesses or folks that are running our huge corporations in the state, they're interested in this because they see the 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 health being driving so such a large part of the economic factor and, and the conditions no of our state. Our our work participation, our labor participation rate is about fifty percent. It's dismal. Lowest in the country. So for these working folks that aren't covered, I'm very interested in trying to find a way to for those folks to have health insurance. If nothing else, call it an incentive to work. Not You might say, well, the pay's not that great. But, hey, there is a way to have some health insurance that comes along with it. And so, you know, I agree. I, to me, that's another added bonus feature. Keep those folks in the workforce and out of the emergency rooms. No doubt.
2: Well, I, you know, and I, it's something I suggest in the article is if we could figure out a way to get those folks enrolled in the exchanges now uh, where their premiums are zero, they still had a, an out-of-pocket cost, but it's limited to 3150 bucks. if we can figure out a way to maybe cover some of that. Look, it's limited, and, and there may be a
4: way for employers where these, because again, we're talking about able-bodied folks who are going to work, there may be a way on those co-pays for businesses to just know, pay over with that and get a tax credit on the backside, I, like there are lots of Things we could do. Um, so it's just been interesting to me that providers and Mississippi businesses have, have come forward and said, we want a seat at the table and we've got some ideas and, and here are our concerns. Right. Um, so we're going to see where we can get with it.
2: Well, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I couldn't agree more that uh, this is an issue. You can't just have a meeting down there at the Capitol in a, in a committee room and, and and really address it as robustly as you could if you could assemble a brain trust, as you've talked about, from the private sector as well. Right. I that, mean, and, and hey, you need and to,
4: I want to stress that the most. These solutions will come from the private sector. Good. They have to. I totally agree. The they, folks, they, if there is any government involvement, they're the folks that are going to pay the bill. So um, I want them to say how they want this thing to look. And and the answer, this has never been about covering able-bodied adults who aren't working. This is only about – we're talking about strictly about the population that is working, yeah. um, finding a way for employers to either help cover them or finding a way with some combination of, of public-private partnership to um, get them some coverage.
2: Well, the challenge is, as you well know, you, you made a statement when we started talking about this subject, that there's a lot more government involvement than people realize. It's, you can look no further than the mtala law passed in 1986. We've talked about it, it yeah. quite a bit. And the bottom line is, if somebody shows up at an ER, the hospital is going to have to take care of them, whether right. they pay or not, and they end up absorbing those costs. That's what's happening now. That's right.
4: They absorb them, and then folks, whether they admit it or know it or not those of us that are paying It's baked in. It's baked in.
2: It's baked in. (laughs) We're paying for it indirectly, essentially. That's right. right. So so a lot of times before we go here, you hear people saying, well, this is just more welfare. Actually, it's welfare that goes to the hospitals. that are having to cover these people and take care of them. It's not a check we write to the individuals. Uh, But I applaud you for at least getting this discussion stimulated and and sort of thinking out of the box. Hey, it's it's kind of
4: the last piece for us. (laughs) Our economy's coming together. We're a right to work state. We've got a lot of good things going. Our tax structure's gotten so much better. We need to fix this health care piece.
2: I agree. And involving the private sector. All for it. We appreciate it, Mr. Speaker. Thank Jason you for your Warren. time. Thank you, Enjoyed sir. Enjoyed it. Coming right back with the final segment of Middays. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
2: The great Rick Dees, that kind of put him on the map, didn't he? Because before that, he was a DJ at WHBQ, isn't that right? In Memphis, I oh, used yeah. to listen to him when I was in college. We could pick it up down there in Oxford. Pretty funny guy, actually. He used to do a little shtick where um, he would be like talking to his agent. You ever heard that before? No. <laughs> And he'd be talking to his agent about opportunities. The guy obviously portraying, you know, his agent. He'd say, Rick, hold on a second. Oh, I got a much bigger name on the other line. I got a much bigger name. <laughs> So I will admit I've been known to tell my wife that before. I can't talk to you now. I'm much bigger names. <laughs> it doesn't go over very well in my household. Wouldn't by think the way, so, no. <laughs> much bigger name. <laughs> oh, I used to laugh so hard at that man. Uh, Malcolm from Tishomingo says that uh, want to know why we had a special session and Rhino uh, very effectively. Uh, articulated the reason. It was just so that the legislature would focus on just this matter and not allow all this other side stuff to gum up the works, in which case you'd be there forever and never get anything done. And so it limited it to just this issue, and that's the way uh, special sessions work. And, And so, yeah, I applaud the governor for uh, doing so for calling a special session to shepherd the legislation through
3: plus once the bill drops the details of the project become public and if you allow that to just linger for the length of a full session you run the risk of a competing state seeing the numbers and trying to undercut you
2: yeah that's right so uh, on the ceasefire text line there's a question about my article with respect to uh, a proposal for some um tax potential tax um benefit from the private sector helping to cover the uninsured so what is missing here what's missing here in uh, thomas's analysis that my proposal was for a situation where a company could pay for the coverage for someone that doesn't work for them that's what's missing here they don't read it correctly so all I'm, it's essentially like a, an act of charity. Somebody out there, instead of going to the Medicaid rolls, I would be able to add them as a private employer, adopt them is what I call it, and pay for their coverage. And I'm just looking for some tax credit for that because it keeps the government from having to fund it. It's no different than the tax credits that we give, for example, for um, crisis pregnancy centers or charities. You, know, you get dollar-for-dollar dollar state, not federal, state tax credits up to a certain amount. And there'd be a pool of money allocated to that. And that would get people on private coverage. That was the idea. So, um, and by the way, you do, companies do, by the way, get the benefit of deducting premiums they pay on behalf of their employees, and guess what else? And that's from a federal perspective. And premiums are not taxable to the employee. The amount your employer pays for your premiums, that's not a taxable benefit. And the amount you pay as an employee towards your premiums, those are pre-tax. Those are deducted before, so there's a lot of this stuff folks just don't understand, and I don't have time to go through the tax code with everybody, but the idea was, just so people know, because I'm being misquoted and misrepresented, the idea was, if I could just go put somebody on my insurance, it doesn't even work for me, but jumps through, or not jumps through, but meets certain criteria that would be determined to be eligible. It would be somebody that Medicaid were otherwise covered. Instead of expanding Medicaid so that they would have insurance, just let me add them to my group coverage. I'll pay for it. I, I got to tell you, I offered this 10 years ago as a business owner, and you, you can understand how complex that is when you start looking at ERISA laws and insurance carriers would have to agree to allow me to put somebody on my insurance. It doesn't work for me. It's complicated. But a bunch of smart people, I think, could figure that out. It's just an idea. That's it. Just an idea. But I'm looking for some incentive from the government to take care of people rather than the government taking care of them from a financial perspective. That was the idea. Thomas, again, go read the article. You asked the question, would your insurance company like you to do that? I say in the article that that would require sorting out with the insurance carriers. I get it. I'm just throwing ideas out for smart people to talk about. And I'd like to see the insurance carriers come in to those meetings and say, you can't do that. And I'm sure they would. But it's just an idea. That's all it was, man. Just trying to stimulate the discussion. Kevin on the road says that I missed a ballot initiative question to the Speaker. Well, he just basically said that they wanted to get uh, something done that they could send to the Senate. And they think they have a bill that they hope the Senate can accept. The big sticking point in the last cycle when this was deliberated was uh, on the number of signatures to be harvested. And so what the House has proposed is a reasonable compromise between what the what currently exists in the Constitution, the House wanted two years ago, and what the Senate wanted two years ago. This is a, a bill that kind of places that figure in the middle. We're out of here today, coming back again on Monday. Have a great weekend, stay safe, and God bless everyone.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.